Welcome to Village Church of Gurney podcast. This is the second week in the Advent, the manger according to Isaiah. The name of the sermon is called Christ the King, and Pastor David will be preaching from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Let's join Pastor David now. Isaiah chapter 9. Meet me there. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. It's going to guide our thoughts today. Page 680 in the Church Bible if you're using that copy of God's Word. Isaiah 9. Let me, let me read uh, this portion for us. Verses 1 through 7. God's Word through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 1 says... But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born." To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As we're reflecting on this series, the manger according to Isaiah, this uh, binocular peak through the eyes of Isaiah, hundreds of years before the first coming of Christ, these verses right out of the gates remind us and show us that because of the manger, what the manger means, what Christmas means, what the season means, as it reminds us of God coming for us, the manger means that Darkness will give way to light. Darkness. All that is evil, all that is bad, all that is broken, all that is tainted and distorted by sin, all that is weighed down by the depravity of the curse entered in by the fall of humanity from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, all that is dark in Jesus Christ will give way to light. When the light shines, the darkness has no other option. It has to flee. Darkness gives way to light. Check this out again, verses 1 through 3. Let me read these, just these first three verses again for us. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, 
Here it is, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah was speaking to a people who were in a dark season. They were in a dark time. It was a time of gloom. It was a time of anguish. It was a time of contempt, a time of humbling, a time where they were walking in darkness, on deep darkness. We remember from last week, perhaps, that King Ahaz, who did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, who was not walking in in this lineage and legacy of faithfulness to God as his forefathers had done, But Ahaz, remember, threatened with war uh, right beside him, all around him, instead of reaching out to the covenant God of the Bible, instead of reaching out to the God of creation, the God who speaks and light is formed, trees are formed, mountains are shaped, oceans are told where their borders start and stop. Instead of reaching out to God, King Ahaz, in a time of threat, reached out to uh, Assyria. And in the ancient world, this was the big, bad uh, superpower of the time. And in reaching out to Assyria, this was a direct uh, um, coldness of heart toward the God of the universe, a trusting in an alternative God, an alternative Lord. And in reaching out to Assyria, the hand that Ahaz hoped would be their rescuer, their help, their savior, actually ended up dragging them into a dark season of conquest, Assyria would come in and and God's people would be humbled for a time, that they would experience the conquest and devastation of that moment. So this is a people that Isaiah is speaking to that is experiencing incredible darkness. Their experience perhaps might not be so dramatically different than your experience or our experience. That if you've ever stopped and reflected on the different ways that darkness can rear its ugly head in our life and in this world, it can be quite sobering and actually quite overwhelming, the amount of darkness that exists out there and throughout history. You may come overwhelmed reading what's happening around the world in the news, either chaos or devastation or war. Even as you reflect on the past several years, we see that the dark shadow of of sin and depravity touches every single culture at every single time in every single place all throughout history. And as we look back through the rearview mirror, even in the recent past, we see brokenness and darkness, whether it's nation against nation, tribe against tribe, community against community. We see brokenness manifested. We see the brokenness of this world that we exist in manifested in in, in sickness or illness in all shapes and sizes, disease, pandemics. We see darkness even as we look deeper back into history. And I, I remember as I was preparing for this message, I stumbled onto this quote, this statistic. I've heard it before, but every time I hear it, I think, is that really true? <laughs> and then you research it and you realize, oh my goodness. It is true. Have you heard this statistic before? That in the 20th century alone, within the 20th century, more people had died by violence than 
every other century before combined. And you hear that, and your response might be just like, are you sure that's right? But then you start to add everything up. You start to add up things like the Russian Civil War. You start to add up things like World War I and World War II. You start to look at the Hitlers and Mussolinis and Maos, the Pol Pots, the Idi Amins, the Ayatollah Khomeinis. You start to add that all up on top of all, all of these other um, conflicts and, and brokenness in ways that nation goes against nation, people against people. And you start to realize just how pervasive, just how much in deep darkness we, humanity, truly are. We, we, we see darkness out there, but we know that darkness doesn't only exist somewhere out there, somewhere else, somewhere outside of uh, me or my family, but actually the more we look internally, I start to realize, wait, darkness is in me. That, that if you draw the line on every human heart, we're going to see brokenness in me. I only need to look in, in, in the mirror uh, to see darkness residing in me. And, and, and you might have come today perhaps overwhelmed by maybe a mental health struggle. It feels like a cloud you can't get out from under. You look inside and, and, and you might you might think, I don't know how in the world all of these entanglements are going to get detangled. And sometimes that is piled on and infused up in there is, is sin struggles, perhaps, that you are trying to shake. And you might be wondering, am I ever actually going to feel like I'm free, free of the battle of sin that wages war inside of me? Maybe mixed up in there is is, is tension in relationships, maybe tension in a marriage, maybe tension or brokenness in a relationship between parent and child, or siblings, or family, or extended family. Uh, maybe on top of that, you're, you're feeling the weight and burden of just life, just all the things that you're trying to juggle. You're just trying to keep your head above water, work and finances and, and emails that you have to re- respond to. And, and perhaps everywhere you go, it can feel like you can't escape darkness. Now, there's a whole bunch of alternative uh, gods, if you will, alternative paths that are going to present a way to get out of darkness. When you look at darkness, moralism, moralism, the path of moralism might say, well, the darkness is really your fault. You really need to be better. If you were just better, if you were just more disciplined, if you were just a better person, if you just uh, could could get yourself together, then you're going to get out of this darkness. But you walk down that path and you get overwhelmed, do you not? It's not working. I can't be better. I can't do better. That strength within me is not enough to climb out of this darkness. The path of moralism, the path of fatalism. Fatalism is going to look at the darkness outside of you or within you, and fatalism is going to say, hey, listen, it's just a dark world endure. But there's something deeply unsatisfying about that answer, is there not? Kind of a very cold, hardening uh, uh, posture toward darkness. You might think, if I totally walk down that path of fatalism, there's, I'm going to deaden my own heart. 
I'm going to deaden my own heart to empathy or sympathy. I'm going to deaden my own heart to the ability to grieve or rejoice with others. The cold path of fatalism, we know, is not a path that we are designed and and built uh, to travel. Just the cold endurance, tough cookies. It's a rough world out there. Just get used to it. Fatalism is not going to work, is it? There's other paths provided for us. Perhaps, uh, perhaps there's a path almost of a, if I can paint this broadly, in Eastern spiritualism. If we look at darkness and say, well, darkness really doesn't exist, the real, the real path that we have to take is to detach from it, to somehow exist outside of it, to transcend above it, face the darkness, and you have to just remind yourself it's actually not real. I need to get away from this, but you know that's not working, is it? It is real. It is a battle. It is a war. And we can't detach from it as much as we wish we could. Moralism, fatalism, a spiritualism that seeks to, to detach. Or perhaps a, a very modern approach. So we see the darkness out there. We see darkness in here. And we think, I just have to look deeper in. If I look deep inside of myself and I search long enough and I find and define and express who I am, the darkness that I'm experiencing is just because I haven't searched myself inwardly enough. But once I find it, whatever it is, then I know that there's going to be light. Do you realize that all four of those paths, whether moralism or fatalism or spiritualism or kind of an an internal uh, um, self-expressive individualism, do you realize at the root of all of those paths, I am my own savior? I am my own savior. I either need to be a better person and just be good. (laughs) I either need to just endure and find the grit and nerve inside of myself just to harden myself to the darkness. I either need to somehow transcend the brokenness or darkness around me, or I got to find and be and define myself. Underneath all of those, I am my own savior. I am my own help. I am my own hope. But do you see how the gospel provides a different path, a different way, a different alternative? That the gospel is different from all four of those other paths. The gospel says to me, I am not my savior, but rather he is my deliverer. Think about this, light and darkness. If you've ever sat in a dark room, do you know what you realize that you cannot do? (laughs) Generate your own light, (laughs) I can't sit in darkness and somehow will my way or, or, or figure out a way for light to exist within me to shine out. Do you know what darkness needs? It needs light to come from the outside in. The gospel means, the manger means, that God himself is the one who delivers. God delivers. And that means when light steps into the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. That darkness will give way to light and life. How do we know that? Because God steps onto the scene. God delivers. I am not my own deliverer. I am not my own savior. My my good behavior and all the morality that I can bring on my best days, it's still not enough. I, I can't harden myself. I can't face the darkness enough out there with my own grit and own strength. I I can't detach far enough from the darkness because it's in me. It exists within me. I can't find and save myself. I need a God who delivers. And that's exactly what God does. 
God delivers, God saves, God rescues, God enters into his own creation. The light that he created at the very beginning is the very light that he steps into the lives of a dark season in Isaiah chapter 9, and perhaps in a dark season for you and for me, or for Lake County, or for Illinois, or North America, or, or, or the world, light shines into the darkness. Look at this. God delivers. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. Now notice what's happening in verse 4. All of a sudden, uh, Isaiah 9, verse 4, starts to take a peek in the rearview mirror. You have, past tense, God's word is looking backward. It's reflecting. It's, it's bringing back to memory and to mind all the different moments, or, or two significant moments at least, that God has delivered his people in the past. Now, these words aren't accidental. Yoke, staff, rod, and oppressor, all four of those words are utilized elsewhere in the Bible to refer to the season and time when God's people were under Egyptian slavery, and God delivered his people from Egypt, from Pharaoh, through uh, Moses. God delivered his people from his wrath in the Passover for his glory. God delivered them by his grace into a covenant, into relationship with him, that in response to his grace, his people would follow him and walk with him and learn his teachings and follow his way. God delivered his people. And in verse 4, it would not go missed that as God's people read, read those words, yoke, staff, rod, oppressor, they say, wait a second, we've seen God deliver before. Remember the Exodus. Remember the Red Sea. Remember the Passover, that our God is a delivering God. But not only Exodus, also, look what it says in verse 4, you broken as on the day of Midian, that's actually referring to a very specific example in, in Judges 6 and 7. Some of you might remember the story very well. God delivers his people from Midian through anxious, fearful, hesitant Gideon. Do you remember the story? Midian, the enemy nation, is staring down God's people, and everyone's terrified. So God finds the most hesitant, fearful, ill-equipped leader, Gideon. And then... God takes this massive army and doesn't grow it, he shrinks it so that when he delivers, it is no mistake that God and God alone gets the glory and the credit for it. God wields the weakness of Gideon. God wields the weakness of the size of the army so that God's victory might best reflect God's glory. Isaiah 9 is saying, you guys remember in this time of darkness, look in the rearview mirror. Your God is a God who delivers. That was how the rearview mirror was working for God's people in this season. How might the rearview mirror be working for you? Think back. Look back. How has God delivered you? Maybe there was a season in your life when all the circumstances, if anything could go wrong, it was going wrong, and it was going wrong everywhere. Maybe work or family or finances or health. It seemed to every single place you turned, your circumstances were just chaotic. Perhaps in your life, on the duration of you been walking with Jesus and following God, has there ever been a moment, has there ever been a time that God has taken circumstances and changed them? 
You said, God, I need wisdom for this, and he provided it. God, I need a way through this, and he provided it. Was there ever a circumstance that God stepped in and changed? Or, check this out, was there ever a season where the circumstances didn't change, but you changed? That God, think of how creative this is of God, that God, in a way, is, can not only deliver us from difficult circumstances, but he can deliver us and shape us and mold us through difficult circumstances. Maybe as you look back on a difficult season of your life, you realized you looked at you before and you after that horrible chapter of life that you wish you could never repeat, you wish had never happened, and you look at the snapshot of who you were before and after and you realize, wait a second, I'm more humble than I used to be. I'm more patient than I used to be. I have greater sympathy and empathy for people going through hard times than I used to have. I've got a greater perspective of, of the depth of God's faithfulness, that he really sees us through dark times. I've got a greater perspective of, of how freely God welcomes my tears, how willingly uh, we can come to God in lament, in sorrow, in pain, even crying out to God, have you been changed through circumstances? Maybe there is a season of your life where you experienced a measure of healing or, or physical restoration. Maybe you were sick. And over time, God was helping you to get better, either through ordinary or extraordinary ways. Or maybe there was a season that he was shaping and molding you through a time of physical... Fill in the blanks, but look back in the rearview mirror. Look in the past. How has God delivered you? I would encourage you, village, remember those times. Keep a list. Keep a mental list. Keep a literal list. Because when you are in dark times, reflecting backward, looking in the rearview mirror, looking back at how God has delivered you in great or small ways, in miraculous or ordinary ways, immediately or over decades of time, when you recount the ways that God has been faithful to you, you know what it's like? A little flashlight in the darkness. This reminder, this encouragement that my God is a delivering God. He has delivered. He can deliver. But not only look backwards, look forward too. Look forward too. That's where verse 5 goes. Look at this, Isaiah 9, 5. For every boot to the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 4 was the review mirror. Verse 5 is the binoculars. He's looking forward all the way to the end of the story, all the way to the second advent, the second coming of our God, the fullness of time when he uh, returns again to establish the fullness of his rule and his reign and his kingdom. And we get a peek of that future existence. And notice what it's saying, just two things. But the implications are incredible. Every boot to the tramping warrior, every garment rolled in blood will be burned. What's God's word saying? All that is necessary to hold wrongdoings into account or all that is necessary to curb the spread of darkness or evil or all that is necessary to navigate brokenness and sin and depravity and evil in this world, all of it will be gone. The boot of the warrior, battered 
stained with blood. Every garment, every uniform stained with the blood of war will be discarded. You won't need it. Imagine a world where there are no boot camps. There are no recruitment centers for any branch of the armed forces. Why? Because it's no longer needed. That's part of the future that God's returning when he comes again. No breakdown between nation and nation, tribe and tribe, people and people. But do you see? That's just one area. Watch how big this gets. Imagine rolling into uh, Jewel, and uh, there's no pharmacy attached to it. In fact, there's no aisles to pick up emergency or vitamin C or any medications at all. Why? Because you don't, we don't need it anymore. There's no sickness. There's no breakdown. In fact, you walked into Jewel and you were looking to the pharmacy and you realized, oh, wait a second, I don't have my glasses on to find it because I don't need them anymore. <laughs> I have a new, restored, renovated, risen body when Christ comes again. And then come to think of it, when you were driving to the grocery store, you realized you never heard any sirens along the way. No ambulances, no, no police cars, uh, no firefighters. Why? Because all of that is no longer needed. There's no breakdown. There's no breakdown of our material world. There's no breakdown of our physical world. There's no breakdown of our relational or, or, or a world or, or, or the society in which we live in. They're not needed anymore. Do you see, start, start erasing everything that has to do with the restoration of what is broken or the curbing of the spread of darkness or evil. Start to erase that all. There'd be no center club. We don't need it. There, there, there's, the, the, think about this. There's, there's, no, there's no counseling services. There's no DCFSs. Why? Because there, there's no darkness that exists in my heart. There's no entanglement that needs to be de detangled. There's no brokenness that exists in the home that needs to intervene. And you start to peel back all of these layers. Everything that pertains to the healing of what is broken, what is wrong, or the curbing and slowing of the spread of darkness, you tear all of that away. And you might, you might think, man, if we take all that away, what is left? <laughs> Paradise. Heaven. No more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more, no more funerals, no more grave sites, no more goodbyes, no more brokenness, no more tears. What is left is paradise. A renovated universe, new heavens and a new earth. That's the future. That's what God is ushering in at his second advent. We get a peek of it in Isaiah 9, verse 5. Now, at the same time that you've got your list, Lord, how have you delivered me in the past? I also want you to make a second list. Lord, what do I still need deliverance from? What darkness is still lingering that I'm praying about, I'm wrestling through? I got community around me to help me navigate through this. I'm seeing uh, maybe... Uh, Inches of growth coming, light peeking in. Make that second list. Lord, what do I still need deliverance from? God has the capacity to give measures of deliverance in this life. It is a certainty for all those who are in Jesus Christ that in life eternal, all of that list now that we still need deliverance from is going to be expired. Everything that burdens you, everything that weighs you down will have an expiration date if you are in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? 
Part of the reason why that second list is so important. Part of the reason we want to look forward is so important. Because when you're in darkness now, do you know what that (laughs) is to you? A flashlight. A light shining into your darkness. God, you've been a delivering God in the past. I've seen it. I've seen it in your word. I've seen it in my life. And I need to remember that. God, you will deliver when you return again. I need that. And what that provides for us in dark times now is light. Light. Darkness must give way to light. Why? Not because I'm my Savior, but because God is my Savior. God is the one who steps in. Well, how does he save? How does he deliver? What does this saving work look like? Well, it looks like the provision of a child, the provision of a king, and the true king, which has come for us. Emmanuel, God with us, son of God, son of man, Jesus Christ steps into the scene. Look at this, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God provides a king, and a king like no other, that this king, verse 6, is born. And in some ways, I I suppose I'm being Captain Obvious a little bit here, but in some ways that means that this king is fully human. He's born, just like all of us were born. Fully stepping into the human experience that Christ come for us is fully human and at the same time fully divine. Because you read on about the character of who this king is. All of us are born. Not all of us can say (laughs) uh, that we are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We certainly can't say of our rule and our reign, our kingdom will be established from this time forth and forevermore. This king is not like any other ordinary king. He is fully God. God steps into the scene to save, to take over, to deliver And look at the character of the king who's come for us. Let's just look at these names. Think about this. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. That our king come for us is a king that you can bring your deepest entanglements to, and he's not surprised. He's not repulsed. He doesn't recoil. That if you expose to God the deepest brokenness of your life, the most shameful moments of your life, the thoughts that run through your mind, that if we're on display for all, the, all to see, you, you, you might think, oh my goodness, I'd be so terribly embarrassed. You take that to God and expose that all to him. And the king of the universe, he's not repulsed. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. That he steps into our life and he starts by his grace over time, over our lives, he starts to detangle and he starts to heal. He starts to restore. That we can. He's gracious, compassionate, kind, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's our counselor, our wonderful counselor. We can come to him. And then when we start to think about the other names, along with all of these names, it gives us a glimpse 
of the grandeur and the beauty and the glory of the character of God. It's like a facets of a diamond. It's like ingredients into a delicious recipe that in and of itself, that if God is our wonderful counselor, that's enough. That's enough to come to worship, to bow down, to give him our souls, that he might be the savior of our lives. But then you start to add all these other attributes and you see how fitting and how good it is that our king has come for us. Because if, let me put it this way, if God is only, if he's only a shoulder to cry on but can't actually do anything about our brokenness, we're going to look for a savior elsewhere. We're going to look for someone else who can do something about the deep brokenness of our life. But he's not just a shoulder to cry on. He can do something about our brokenness. Look at this. He's mighty God. That our king is both kind and strong. Mighty, weighty, glorious. There's no enemy that God faces that he cannot triumph over. There's no darkness that God faces that he cannot step in and generate light. There's no evil that God faces that he wonders, am I going to be able to triumph There's no such thing as a set of circumstances that God faces that he says, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this. Every single enemy, every single challenge, every single entanglement that the Lord our God, our Savior faces, he is mighty, he's stronger, greater, more powerful, more wise, more capable. This is our king. We can come to him because he's strong, and able to navigate any darkness that comes his way. But if he's only power, if he's only might, if he's only strength, you might say, listen, I'm a little scared to come to this God. I don't know if I want to come to pure power and might. But do you see, look at the next name. He's also everlasting father. Father eternal. And when we come to our God... In the posture of a child to a father, there's some beautiful things that can happen. Every single one of us have a mixed bag when it comes to our relationships with our earthly dad. Why? Because we're all human beings. We're all fallen. We're all broken. And there's going to be glimpses and pockets, perhaps, where you say, man, listen, my my dad did it right here. I actually really respect how my dad led or modeled or taught, whatever that might be. Any glimpse, large or small, any ounce that you can look into that relationship and say, no, actually, there's, this, is, this was good. Do you realize that through that glimpse of light, you're seeing a window into the true and more full and complete character of God, our Heavenly Father, and every glimpse where things weren't perfect, where things weren't rosy, where things were actually difficult and hard. Do you see you can take even all those hard things, and when you compare it against the Heavenly Father, All that is broken finds its restoration. He's our heavenly Father, Father forever, Father eternal. (laughs) Eternal Father. Think about this. Everlasting Father. That he is completely other, that he's outside of time, that he is completely grand and full of awe, yet he's close and near. He's Father knowing us, loving us, drawing us to himself. Our relationship to him is one of a child. We're born into the family, loved, period, simply because we are his in Jesus Christ. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Prince of peace. 
Perhaps many of you have heard this explained before. Peace, peace. And it's not just a stalemate. It's not just getting angry individuals, husbands and wives, siblings, coworkers, neighbors. It's not just getting angry individuals just, just far enough apart from each other that just a stalemate would be enough. That's not the peace that this is describing. It's not a peace where, where tribe against tribe, nation against nation, you know, if we could, oh my goodness, if we could just, you know, keep each other just far enough away from each other, then a little bit of calm might enter in. Not that kind of peace, but a perfect wholeness. Shalom. The last time we saw it was in the Garden of Eden. The next time we'll see it fully and completely is at Christ's second coming. Perfect restoration between our relationship with God. Perfect restoration relationship with each other. Perfect restoration of all of the material world, this physical world, will be completely renovated and made new. One of the only ways that we can kind of think our way and reflect our way to what that's like, again, take all that is bad and try erasing it. You're going to realize you're erasing for quite some time, and all that is left is perfect peace, restoration, wholeness, completeness. That is accessible through the child who's come for us, the king who's come for us. He is the prince of peace. That in him... All of our great darkness finds its light. All that is broken is restored. All of our hopes are fulfilled. And the darkness must flee. So in any ounce, in any way that you are experiencing darkness today, Isaiah 9 encourages, it holds out to you and I, trust the king. Trust the king who delivers you from darkness to light. Trust the king who transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Trust the king who did not sit and wait for us to try to climb our way to him, but who came to us. We are not here to save ourselves. We are here to be recipients of his saving and redeeming work in our lives. Trust the king. He's come for you, leaving glory and heaven to come to us, that in your darkness... He might deliver you from it. In the darkness that exists in you, he might deliver that darkness out of you that you might be welcomed in as a child of the king. Lean in on him. And may you experience, even in glimpses, even in pockets now, peaks and glimpses and foretastes of what is fully yet to come. Darkness fleeing. Light and life that only comes in Jesus Christ and life eternal. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take whatever burdens are on our hearts, bear them for us. Whatever confusion, Lord, that fogs our way, would you, Lord, grab our hand and walk us through it? Whatever sin struggles that seem to linger, Lord, would you free us from them? And Lord, may we experience the depth and fullness of the grace and peace, the goodness of our Father, the power of our God, the caring, tender heart 
of our Savior. May we experience all of that in you. As you take residence in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.